Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. They're here. Pardon me, boy. Is this the Transylvania Station? Yeah, yeah, truck 29. I'm the dude. Play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. Oh, well, I'd love it if he did. But instead, we're going to be talking about the business of film, which is equally good, because James Cameron Wilson is here to discuss what is happening at the UK box office with lots of new films, I understand, James. Well, we have been away, haven't we, Simon? I have. Somebody's been skiing in France. I have. Where they closed the cinema in the play, the resort. I have never actually been to the cinema in the resort because I was always oh, it worried it was going to be in French. Awful holiday for you. Um, so, but the, the cinema was there. I was like looking at the posters, but it's not there anymore. Um, oh, I am so sorry. But I managed perfectly well. So, how yeah, the we've got a lot doing in the of UK? catching up to do. Yeah. Well, the, the previous weekend we should mention because that did rather well. It jumped twelve point three percent. But we're talking about last weekend, not the weekend before, mm. where it did dip 32.5%. But Ouch. we've only really got one big new film that didn't do as well as people were hoping, and for very good reasons. Mm. So let's have a look at the chart. At number one, we've got a film called Avatar, The Way of Water, for the sixth consecutive week, which is the highest grossing release of the pandemic era and the sixth highest grossing film of all time just two and a half million behind avengers infinity war watch this space and so of what's, this it ta- week, what's his take now uh take? 2.8 million at last weekend's box office for a total in this country of 67.6 million pounds wow and of course, it was also nominated Best Picture this week in the Oscars and Best Production Design, Sound and yes, Visual yes, Effects. Yes. So that's not going to turn anybody away. Best it's Picture. It's a long film, isn't it? I don't remember you saying. Not only is it long, but it seems long. I think it's not three hours, 13 minutes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It, uh, and yeah, you you do get bum, numb, fatigue yeah. Uh, uh, symptoms. Yeah. Anyway, we've got a new foot. Well, it, what, it was, it is new to us, but it's been out now for over 10 days, hmm. which is pronounced Megan, but it's spelt M3GAN, all caps, which made 1.4 million. Um, and with a total now of 1.32 million. When Megan began, I did fear the worst. It opens with one of the worst cliches in movie history an unexpected car crash. Just as such films as Beetlejuice, Doctor Strange, Flatliners, Footloose, Olympus (laughs) Fallen, Pete's Dragon, Three Colours Blue, The Time Traveller's Wife, Shazam, and too many others to mention, all of which begin their respective narratives with an unforeseen car crash. It's dramatic, 
but it's become a cliche. And then the film Megan encroaches on territory already explored in Ex Machina, AI, Artificial Intelligence, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Wally, Big Hero 6, and too many others to mention. But having said that, it is enormous fun. And you will believe a doll can speak and sing and play back your own thoughts and punish the neighbour's dog. No, I'm giving too Mm. much away. However, you only have to look at the poster and look at that unknowing, glassy-eyed look staring out from that pretty face to know that all is not going to go well for Megan's human companions. Megan is a state-of-the-art doll costing a cool $10,000 with built-in machine learning so that it can interact with the child that can afford it. It can also play back the child's memories, play back music, converse, and this is the clincher, it can walk. It is also programmed to adopt a series of facial expressions to give it the air of a real human companion. So unlike the hideous doll in Annabelle, also produced by James Wan, and not to mention Chucky from Child's Play or even Mm. Pinocchio, Megan is a good-looking, movable Barbie with synthetic skin made from silicone. It is the pet project of Gemma, Alison Williams from Get Out, and has involved years of research and enormous amounts of financial investment. In fact, Gemma is a workaholic, so when her niece, Katie, survives the aforementioned car crash and comes to live with her, she hasn't got a real toy for the girl to play with or even a suitable bedtime story to read to her, which doesn't sit well with the therapist who pops in to visit from time to time. But then Katie, bored to death, begins to show an interest in her Aunt Gemma's work. And the latter realises that her niece is the perfect guinea pig to play with her new invention, to test it, so to speak. While Megan the movie never strays beyond the realms of the generic comic thriller that it is, it is also extremely well researched. When one untoward incident happens at a playground, no spoilers, I thought there must have been some inbuilt mechanism like the histories on your computer to have recorded the event so they know who did it. Mm -hmm. But the film and Aunt Gemma were always one step ahead of me. I don't know much about the world of robotics, but I have seen enough documentaries on the subject to know that the world of toys like Megan are not that far away, along with all the moral implications of an automaton taking over the responsibilities of parental care. So this is a film that thrills, makes you laugh, and makes you think. So I'm happy it's doing so well. And this presumably classed as horror. I wouldn't class it as horror. I would class it as comic thriller. So you're safe, Simon. Okay. Thank you, James. Right. Let's move on from there. Okay, we have Babylon, which is a new film at number three, which made 1.32 million taking in considerably less than the last Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, him to Hollywood (laughs) once upon a time, which skewered an opening weekend of 5.1 million. But it's interesting that they've done these two films about Hollywood back to back. 
In Christian texts, Babylon is a place of excessive luxury and corruption, which pretty much sums up the Hollywood of the silent era. I don't think I learnt anything new from Damien Chazelle's epic homage to the good old bad old days, except the director certainly sums up the craziness of a myriad of film sets huddled next to each other, mm. like various attractions at a fairground. And how a bucket of ice cubes can come in handy when an actress is wanting to draw attention to her nipples. Yes, Babylon, the film, is obviously a culmination of dreams for Chazelle, who both idolises and castigates the city of dreams. His film being every bit as over-the-top and excessive as the world he is recording. It is brilliant. It is hard work. It is way, way too long. And it has Margot Robbie throwing herself to the wolf, to the lions in an anything-goes portrayal of need and hedonism. Mm -hmm. Of the four main characters, she certainly provides the brightest wattage and probably bla balances out the alcoholic matinee idol played by Brad Pitt, the desperate-to-please Mexican immigrant played by Diego Calva, and the black trumpet player portrayed by the Oxford-born Jovan Adepo, all of whom serve as amalgams of real-life characters. While many of its scenes are unforgettable, starting with the defecating elephant, followed pretty quickly by a no-holds-barred orgy, a sort of Caligula meets Moulin Rouge mash-up, mm. its episodic structure really doesn't serve its 189-minute running time. And at times, I felt it really was a slog. It just refuses to end. And as Chazelle, who also directed the brilliant Whiplash, the almost as brilliant La La Land, and the not quite so brilliant First Man, piles culmination on culmination. By this time, I was willing it to end. I was already mm. bloated with visual indigestion. I mean, I was it, happy it, from... Yeah, it, it's almost like, you know, one of those D.W. Griffith silent films itself. Intolerant. It's so over the top. Um, which clearly was it was intentional. I think I enjoyed it a bit more than you. And I went with somebody I thought I was enjoying it mostly because I was interested in trying to see who was based upon whom. I found that right. interesting. And yeah. I'm interested in pre-code Hollywood anyway. It's a fascinating era. Um, but I went with a friend who didn't know anything about that. And they also enjoyed it. But everybody who's seen it is in agreement that it's a good half an hour too long, at least. Absolutely. I think um, it, if it had a stronger narrative momentum, a sort of through thread, Yes. It could have kept you with it, but it is so episodic and yes. you bounce from one character to the other. Yes. And and just one quick thing. I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but you mentioned the early scene with the defecating elephant in a truck. <laughs> They're trying to get the elephant up the hill. I mean, have they not actually noticed elephants can walk? It, it, I, the whole thing seemed pointless. It was just done for a joke. That's well, I, I, I know. If only they'd had Hannibal. But I would say anything, if anybody goes to see Babylon or is interested in pre-code Hollywood, then clearly a lot of the stories are based on the Kenneth Anger books, Hollywood Babylon, Hollywood Babylon 2, most of which are, it now reckoned, massively exaggerated or completely untrue. Um, well, yes. But there was that wonderful Kevin Brownlow series they did for Thames uh, called Hollywood. Both of those are available. There's an arena documentary on Kenneth Anger, which is worth looking at there's some bizarre stuff in there as well as anger himself who's pretty bizarre um but also the the 13 part 
hour-long episodes that Thames did. Can you imagine an ITV company doing this now? Um, on Hollywood, the early days, absolutely <laughs> fascinating. They are all available on YouTube, bizarrely, probably breaking somebody's copyright, but but watch them while you're still able to. Absolutely fascinating. Oh. And James, I'm sorry, I've whittled on a little bit because I think I'm, I'm currently watching both of those and finding them fascinating. We will take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Ritz. We're talking the business of him with James Cameron Wilson, and we've been talking about Babylon, which clearly is going to lose some studio an enormous amount of money. Yes, I think it was 80 million it cost. Margaret Robbie, I should say, is amazing. She is. And she is. it was a slight disappointment she didn't get an Oscar nomination this week. And as for Toby Maguire, that scene, um, I should point <laughs> yes, out, yes. it is an 18 certificate, folks. Yes. So moving on to so. the chart. And Gene Smart yeah, yeah. as well. I would like Gene Smart in absolutely everything. I think the acting is is, is pretty impressive in the film. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. it's got a lot of... No, I'm not dissing the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I just wish they'd shaved half an hour off it. Uh, yeah, I, I think agree. it would have been so good if they had. I agree. But it's interesting. Um, Damien Chazelle is going the Hugh Hudson route that each film he makes is not as good as his first one. Mm. And I, I could apply that to Roland Joffe as well. They all started with these great masterpieces, and then each film got slightly less impressive. Orson Welles. Well, yeah, famous case. At the, number the, four, we yeah. have I Want to Dance with Somebody with a total yeah. now of 9.6 million. This is the story of Whitney Houston, a slightly whitewashed version, but with the, an extraordinarily wonderful performance from Naomi Aki, who didn't get a nomination, sadly, this week. At number five, we've got Bar Matilda, the musical, with a total of 25.8 million, which is dire, of course, but making a lot of money. At number six, A Man Called Otto, which I loved, which is a remake of the Swedish film, where they've now got a total of 3.6 million, which is not very impressive for Tom Hanks, I'm afraid uh, to say, but I'm telling my, everybody my daughter, I know to go and see it. My daughter went to a baby and a baby screening where people with tots can go and nobody really will, will complain because everybody's got tots. And anyway, apparently my grandson, who is called Otto and isn't yet a year old, apparently enjoyed it with all the others. Apparently all these these young kids, I mean, you know, we're not talking about even sentient yet, they can't speak uh or understand what humans are but saying they can to, but they but they didn't apparently they were all quiet and absolutely absorbed in the film that's extraordinary isn't it so yeah much like, like my daughter who i started taking to the cinema when she was six weeks old and i took her <laughs> every well every almost every month from yeah. then onwards I'm like, uh, i would like to see the I, i'm gonna go and see it james but i'd like to see the original again a man named over or called is that, over, is that over. wise Oh, I enjoyed that so much. I want to contrast and compare, just as you do frequently. Yes, I know. But I think you should see a man called... You've seen it, so see a man called Otto. Oh, I will see that first, yes. Yeah, oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then and then compare. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Well, at number seven, we've got Empire of Light, which now has a total of £2.8 million, which, of course, has been out now for two weeks. 
Uh, I, I find that more often than not, films about food, or at least movies set in restaurants, are rather good. Likewise, films that focus on the art of cinema seem to be exceptional. Think Cinema Paradiso, or Bergman Island, or Hugo, or The Smallest Show on Earth. Or if we're talking about the actual process of filmmaking, a lot of, well, I, I love most of Babylon, but we also have Sunset Boulevard, Robert Altman's The Player, mm -hmm. Boogie Nights, the brilliant Spanish drama, Even the Rain. Truffaut's Miraculous Day for Night, Gods and Monsters, Official, competi official mm. Competition, etc., 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 to quote Yul Brynner. And I loved <laughs> Sam Mendes' Empire of Light, which is set in a picture palace in 1980 on England's south coast, with the brilliant Sir Roger Deakins behind the camera, who has just received his 16th Oscar nomination for this very film. It is stunning to behold. We open with the series of still lives, which reveal various grotty corners of the empire, with a camera settling on a sign that reads, find where light in darkness lies. Then the duty manager arrives to open up, turns on the lights, and this glorious palace of dreams comes alive. Even the shot of the sweets counter with its display of revels, minstrels, treats and flying <laughs> saucers had me riveted in an unshakable grip of nostalgia. And then the various caretakers of this magical place turn up for work, presenting unremarkable shadows compared to these stars emblazoned on the walls, stars like John Belushi, Roy Scheider, James Kahn, Richard mm. Pryor and Goldie Horn. The projectionist is an odd little man, played brilliantly by Toby Jones, rather retiring and described as very particular, who just loves what he does, explaining to us there is a little flaw in your optic nerve. So if you run the film at 24 frames per second, you don't see the darkness. It's an illusion of life. But Hilary Small, the duty manager played by Olivia Coleman, is less enamoured and just sees the empire as a workplace. Critics have complained that they don't believe somebody working in a movie theatre wouldn't be in love with the cinema. But I disagree. Hmm. At my local multiplex, half the people I talk to behind the counter don't know what I'm talking about. Surely, I press them, you must know who Kate Blanchett is. And I'm not making this up. They just mm. don't know. So my name dropping usually falls on deaf ears. <laughs> my local. I loved Empire of Light. I still think Sam Mendes is a wonderful humanist director. This is the first film that he's directed from his own screenplay. And while maybe his latest film takes on more than it can masticate, I, I was in seventh heaven. So oh, I, I think certainly a recommendation. It. Certainly a recommendation. And you haven't seen it yet. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I'm afraid. No. No, you've been scared. No, I, there's an awful lot to catch up on. I do, I'm slightly. I'm trying to work out which films are going to disappear first. Um, well, as take Emperor up 2.8 light... millions. Not very much for. No, no. Uh, particularly with Olivia Coleman. Mm. Well, maybe see Emperor of Light first, as it's lowest down. The yes. List. Yeah, that's what I, I was thinking. At number eight, we have. 
Qatar. And I know I say this every year, but it seems unfair that everything I see at the moment is so much better than the frequent dross we're exposed to over the previous 10 months because it's Oscars season. And so the studios are rolling out their best yeah. movies to complete, compete yes. with another. This is another um, one I'm desperate to see. Intrigued to hear what you think. Well, since Kate Blanchett won the Best Actress Gong at Venice last September, Tar has been garnering enormous acclaim, going on to win, win Best Film from the New York Film Critics Circle, the Los Angeles Film Critics Circle, uh, and the National Society of Film Critics, the three top critical bodies in the US. So with that sort of expectation, how can the film hold up? And that was before it was nominated Best Film at this week's Oscars announcement. Well, I thought it held up pretty damn well. I should say from the I would say from the start that it is written, produced, and directed by Todd Field, the actor who plays the jazz pianist and Tom Cruise's old classmate in Eyes Wide Shut, if you want to picture him. Since then, having worked with Stanley Kubrick, he went on to direct In the Bedroom and Little Children two of the best films of the 21st century. I watched Little Children again a couple of months ago and was surprised how good it was, how vividly nuanced, intelligent and shocking and surprising and multi-layered it was. Tar is surprising on a number of counts because it breaks with conventional narrative. It is 158 minutes long, which turns out not to be long enough and is virtually a one-woman show. Kate Blanchett plays Lydia Tarr, a world-class conductor who herself has broken the traditional narrative by being a woman in a man's field, and, and a lesbian at that. She is ferociously intelligent, and it's hard to take one's eyes off her as she flits between New York and Berlin, takes classes at Juilliard, goes on the school run, unleashes her cyclonic energy in the gym and takes various meetings to promote her new autobiography and to move around the employees under her wing at the Berlin Philharmonic. It's hard to keep up with her. And so the film justifies its length, although she occasionally disappears from view, on one occasion sustaining a beating that leaves her face cut and bruised, although this is left deliberately vague. Besides the wonderful music, the film's dialogue, Lydia Tars particularly, she is so articulate. It's mind-blowingly eloquent, permitting the viewer a rare glimpse into an elite, rarefied world that makes one just proud to be human. But of course, Lydia has her flaws, as do we all, but how the film Trickle charges her darker side is mesmerizing stuff. Blanchett is sensational and played all the piano pieces on the soundtrack herself. Really? Wow. Uh, yeah. And, and yet she's not on screen. She, she played the piano on the pieces, which if you stay for the credits, piano, Kate Blanchett, piano, Kate Blanchett, piano, Kate Blanchett. Wow. Um, I wish I had more time to sing its praises. But I don't, because we need to finish off the chart. Well, you can always return to it next week when we know it's a much quieter week. Yeah, recommend yeah, okay. But it's a shame it's already at number eight in the chart. Well, it's done really badly. And I think because it is a quite an elitist subject. But see it, because she is amazing. And I, I was totally 
just absorbed in that whole world. But I know we have to go. Oh, uh, number nine, we've got Disney's somewhat uh, commercially disastrous Strange World, which I enjoyed up to a point. And number 10, with trailing five Oscar nominations, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. James, that is splendid. Thank you very much. I can't believe there are several films now. There are at least three there that I feel I want to see before they disappear. No, four films I want to see before they disappear. Um, That's going to be quite tricky, given that I don't go as often as you these days. But thank you very much indeed. That's James Cameron Wilson looking at the business of film. Lots of new films, and yet the box office is not doing terribly well. Uh, Go figure. Um, Let's hope anyway that people find something to see there. Uh, and take advantage of James' recommendation. That's it, though, for this week's Business of Film. We all go a little mad sometimes. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! We rob banks. I'll be back. <laughs> 